And with that, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode number two of Sports Talk with JB. As you just heard, is the national anthem of near and dear to my heart, <laughs> the Italian national anthem. And ladies and gentlemen, welcome, welcome back to the show, if I can spit it out late at night here, is since we are recording late at night tonight, yet again for episode number two, I'd like to welcome back my producer, co-host of Everything College Basketball, Peyton Burton, joining the show tonight. What is up, people? Hope you guys enjoyed the first episode. Um, this second episode is going to be even better. I can guarantee you that. A lot of stuff to talk about, because I know Josh is excited about it. a lot of stuff. So, Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And we let off with the Italian national anthem on purpose because Peyton, let's get down to brass tacks here. Um, we talked about in the last episode, we were just getting into knockout stage football for the European Championships, the Euros 2020. And today was the first of two semifinal matches. Actually, we actually had two semi-final world football matches in major competitions that went to penalty shootouts that we're going to talk about both. One just ended down in South America that was outstanding. We'll get to that here in just a little bit too. But Peyton, let's jump right into Euros 2020. We left off after episode one. We were talking about knockout stage rounds. Um, briefly, just kind of going over that. Uh, Obviously, your team, we had previewed the net for, it was for the next day, Belgium against Portugal. Long and short of that is Portuguese defense let them down again. Belgium was able to capitalize and uh, shut down any dreams Cristiano Ronaldo on the Portuguese side that had it running it back in the Euros. Belgium advanced. Denmark ended up winning. Uh, we had talked about Italy with a big win over Austria. Uh, England cruised. And uh, Spain won. I'm trying to remember off the top of my head since you got the screen share up. Um, and whoever else won, I forget. Then it got us down to the lead eight. And Peyton, the Italians tuck on the number one ranked team in the FIFA World Rankings, whether you agree or disagree. The team who knocked your side out, Italy went up against Belgium. And let me tell you, the Italians struck first, struck second, could have easily been up 3-0, and Belgium ended up 
capitalize after the second Italian goal. But Peyton, the story of that game was how well the Italian midfielders play. And what about that goal from Lorenzo Insigne? Oh, my God, what a beauty that was. Yeah, uh, well, the first goal, Barella scored, and that goal was actually pretty nice as well. But, yeah, the second goal, the goal of the game was definitely uh, uh, Insigne from, like, 40 yards out, just curled in past Courtois. Uh, top right, and that shit was beautiful. Like, I jumped out of my seat and was cheering because obviously I wanted Italy to win because obviously Belgium knocked out Portugal in the round of 16. So I was hoping Italy would win. Um, and yeah, they did. I mean, Bolo, that first goal was nice. And Xenia had the goal. Uh, the second, the beautiful Galazzo he had. And then Lukaku, literally at the end of the, before halftime, in the 45th minute, uh, Doku won a penalty for Belgium and Lukaku put it in. I think it was top right or something like that. I don't remember where he shot it, but he converted yeah. it and it went 2 1 into halftime. And then Italy ended up not once they coasting the way to a victory, but Belgium, I think the last 10 minutes, Belgium started playing well, but really Italy just dominated the midfielder in the midfield. Yeah. And Italy did what I begged for. If you go back to episode one, remember I, we were talking and I begged for Fed, Federico Chiesa to start. He started from the first minute and he contributed. Like his contributions to the game um, completely changed this Italian side for sure. And he also does the same thing with Juventus when he's playing a full 90. Um, he, he's just a different type of player. I love, I love Federico Chiesa as a player. He's one of those younger talents as a modern-day footballer, um, pacey technical, but yet still skillful and flashy. Chiesa is a future budding superstar, in my opinion. And, and the, the downer to all this, of course, we knocked off Belgium, the number one ranked team in the FIFA World Rankings. We're going to talk about FIFA World Rankings real here in a little bit, actually, and how they got to Belgium. Don't get me wrong, Belgium's a really good side. They're a so-called golden generation. But they obviously had some – they didn't really play nobody, like in friendlies and stuff. They, they didn't, they've not won a competition in this golden era. They've, I think they won last year's World Cup. They finally made it to semifinals, but they're normally knocked out in knockout stage round. So I don't know how they're, you know, it is what it is, I guess, you know, number one set. But what I was getting to, the bummer about all of it, you have this high win, you advance to the semifinals, the final four of this huge competition, and you run your unbeaten record up to 32 at the time and you lose arguably he could, he was seriously in that short list of players who were considered probably player of the tournament thus far, but you lose left back. Um, mm. Finazzola, um, sending our prayers. He's had surgery. He um, tore his Achilles, the long and short of it. He tore his Achilles against the Belgium side, absolutely saved an Italian's ass, too, because Belgium had a chance late, and he literally, his ass, he stuck his ass out to stop Lukaku from scoring. Because if that game gets tied up too, too late with, you know, 10 minutes and regulation time left, that could be anything. But he, he saved Italy's ass. To me, he was probably the – he was probably the man of the tournament, the player of the tournament thus far, because he still has the fastest clocked-in pace as far as a forward run. Um, he was really showing out, man, and just the Terrier Achilles. He was doing so well, and this is what these tournaments do. You mentioned Doku. You know, these tournaments highlight players. This is a world stage to get a chance to highlight players. And 
he was on the radar. He's playing at Rome. I mean, he's an Italian guy. He's playing at Roma. So it's not like he's at a small <clears> club, but he was doing so well that Real Madrid and Barcelona and other giants of the game were heavily considering bringing him in to solidify their back line with that pace, the technical ability, the attacking mindset, the way he linked up um, going forward with overlapping and underla- or underlying runs, finishing the ball, crossing it. Like he was, he was looking like one of the best left backs in the world before the Achilles injury. Now he's done for six months, to, between six months and a year. So what a bummer. Well, um, real quick here, talking about Spinozola and how well he's played in this tournament. And it definitely sucks that he ended up getting injured and had to been stretching off on that Belgium side. Um, but here's why you kind of briefly just mentioned it there. <clears throat> but the reason he's so good for this Italian squad, because you mentioned he's a good defender. He's a good one-on-one defender. But – his ability to make attacking runs and really allows Xenia to play inside like he did on that second goal when he cut inside and scored that beautiful of a goal. It's because he don't have to worry about drifting wide because Spinozola, when he gets attacked, he overlaps and he goes wide. And uh, that's what makes those two dangerous together. And what really what makes this Italian squad score a lot of goals this season, or not this season, but this tournament, is because when Spinozola gets onto the attacking side, he always overlaps and allows Xenia or whoever's on the left side or the right side allows them to cut inside and make one-on-one plays and really starting to – that's why the counterattack is so dangerous and so good. It's why they're allowed to high-pressure teams. And, uh, yeah, they're definitely missing him, at least somewhat of that attack inside from Spinozola because he's definitely played himself – before the injury, he played himself and getting a major contract from a major team or club. Yeah, um, I could you imagine him? I know you're obviously a Madrid fan. We established that in episode <laughs> one, but – him, he may not have started a lot as a left back for you guys, but having him as an option to go with your pace and use and linking up on that left hand side with Venencius Jr. Jesus, that would have been fun. Yep. Hopefully, he makes a fast recovery. I mean, I know it's the same injury that Kobe Bryant had when he tore his Achilles against the Lakers in the playoff, or not the Lakers, but the Warriors in the playoffs, the same. Uh, injury that he had, and he was out for uh, pretty much, I think, a year or something like that. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's not a injury that you just come back up from very quickly. It's going to take time from recovery, from rehabbing, and I don't know. We he might miss, he he'll probably miss next season of whole. Uh yeah, I would say it's it's probably done for the season, which again sucks. But obviously, so Italy punched their ticket into the final for the semis of the Euros. Spain got lucky they had they didn't have to play France France in this position would have been their opponent had France not got lazy and blew a lead against Switzerland the Swiss team had a nice run and Spain almost fucked around and did the exact same thing because Spain got out early on the Swiss the Swiss as they've been prone to do especially in this tournament fought back since the game in to penalty kicks where mm-hmm. the Spanish team beat them 5-3. But Peyton, Spain, did the almost exact same thing France did. Fucked around after getting the lead, laid back, and the Swiss team almost made them pay the same way that they did France. But nonetheless, <clears throat> this young Spanish side found a way to set themselves up with a date with destiny that happened earlier today that we're going to talk about with the Italian team. But they damn near – I mean, the, the Spanish team – it's so up and down 
what a weird tournament this has been for, you know, Luis Enrique's Spanish side. Yeah, I seen a stat to where I think in like the full 90 minutes, they've only won like one game. Yeah. Which is crazy. Other games is winning either extra time or penalties, um, which is wild. But yeah, this Spanish squad, there's a lot of players that I wouldn't say I'm not um, – What's the word I'm looking for? I'm not aware of, I guess. We don't really know, but because I'm used to like Spanish squash. I'm using Ramos to be in the defense, PK to be in the defense. They still got Jordi Alba. They still got Busquets. Still got like Koki and guys like that. But it's weird not seeing all these legends that, I mean, I'm not going to say I grew up watching because I definitely didn't. But especially back in like 2010, early like a decade ago that you'd be seeing playing now. It's, it's definitely a weird vibe. They're still doing what they're usually doing, a thousand passes, um, really playing slow and methodical and making you have to, like, defend and slow your game down, which pretty much is what they did in this Italian game that we'll talk about here soon. But, um, yeah, and also the reason they haven't really been – no, I'll wait for that. I don't want to get yeah, ahead of myself. Yeah, I'll wait yeah. for that. Let's go ahead. I, go ahead. Not, yeah. yeah, I know where you're going with that. But the, but the other side of the equation in the other quarterfinal matches real quick, <clears throat> England absolutely throttled. I mean, absolutely throttled. Um, oh, I just went blank. Who'd they, who'd they beat 4-0? Oh, my God. Uh, Ukraine? The Ukraine, thank you. I went blank. Yeah. I was going to say the Czech Republic, but they beat them around four. Um, yeah. yeah, they. I mean, they throttled them. The, the, all this talk about England, and we were guilty of it in um, in the first episode, just by, based on why they're playing, you know. But they were able to hit, um, and it, they all came in the second half, but they were able to, once they got their footing with Luke Shaw overlapping on the left side, he made some brilliant crosses. Harry Kane got him a brace, got inside, a couple of nice headers. Um, Sterling scored again. Jaden Sancho scored. Uh, or well, I don't think he scored. If uh, maybe it was Jordan Henderson that scored. Now that I'm thinking about it, but it was uh, Sancho played. Uh, uh, he played more minutes. Is what I was trying to say, but the, the English side looked very versatile and dangerous. Ukraine's defense just couldn't hold up to him. Ukraine had a tremendous run to get to the quarterfinals. Andrei Shevchenko should be credited it. Um, the former AC Milan legend. Um, Ballon d'Or winner back in I think it was 2003 yeah, he, he they had a great run but they just did not have the firepower the manpower to go up against this English side and yeah the 4-2-3-1 works like I mean Milan ran the 4-2-3-1 all year last year didn't hardly ever change up it works it's not that there's anything wrong with having two central defensive midfielders but we were just questioning because England has a lot of great wingers and attackers and that's more of a drop back kind of counter attack system on the most part, but they put it on Ukraine and fair play to uh, the three lions on that one. Um, this English squad after drawing to Scotland um, in the group stage, they have been uh, very impressive. They're a dangerous squad of guys like um, Rashford and Jaden Sancho finally getting some minutes that he deserves. He's had a hell of a year at Dortmund past couple of years, especially last season. Um, Harry Kane is a number nine. Uh, actually have a clinical striker to finish goals um, either on either either in the air or on the feet, don't matter. Um, Luke Shaw overlapping, it don't matter. They're, this squad's crossing, very talented. His crossing game against Ukraine was ridiculous. 
he was putting them on a dot for Harry Kane. I mean, just overlapping. Ukraine did not do a good job closing him down, and he was just picking out paths left and right. I mean, it was a thing of beauty, honest to God. Um, I, and, go ahead. i tell you what, though. This English squad is so dangerous, and I really hope they beat. I mean, Denmark has had a crazy run without with uh, Christian Eriksen going down and pretty much dying on the pinch and had to be revived. Still players up to him. Hopefully everything's good with him. But uh, the run that this Denmark squad has went on, I don't really care who wins the game tomorrow between England and Denmark. I hope it's a good one. But say England does win, this is probably their best chance to winning something in a long, long time. And they keep doing this little moniker, or not really moniker, this little quote, like, it's coming home. It's coming home. And uh, Denmark, they have a player, Casper uh, Schmeichel. I don't know if you've seen this video yet. I have not. This is hilarious. Uh, a reporter, I think it's an English fan, he asked them, talk about the it's coming home from England. He asked them, uh, well, I'll just let you listen to it. Here you go. You'll be in, uh, particularly aware of the phrase, it's coming home. Now, what would it mean to you guys to stop it coming home tomorrow night? Has it ever been home? <laughs> uh, I don't know, have you ever won it? Sixty-six, it was home. Well, was that not the World Cup? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I'm saying but the, the whole thing about a national tournament finally yeah. coming home, finally the actual <laughs> success this country craves. What would it mean to you to stop that coming home? Um, to be honest, I haven't given any thought to what it would mean to stop England more than what it would do for Denmark. Uh, I, to be honest, I've focused very little on the England national team. <laughs> it doesn't really mean anything to me. It's the, <laughs> it's what it would do for our country back home. The uh, the joy it would bring for a, a country of of only five and a half million to to be able to to do something like that or to to compete with the nations that we're competing with. That's. The funniest clip of that's the day. So that's hilarious. Brilliant. And that's the mindset. And basically, you went ahead, but that's fine. Denmark won their quarterfinal match and set yeah, up well, to yeah. make it to the semis. This is the furthest they've been since 1992 when they actually won the whole damn thing. So that's great. Good on Casper Schmeichel. I would get so tired of hearing that, too. Like, why? Okay, that's cool. But I'm focused on what it would do for my country. That's great. Yeah, and he had like the whole thing is when he asked them, "Has he ever has they ever won it before?" He got that reporter so good because the reporter said, "Yeah," and in like 1966, but I think they won the World Cup that year. Or something. They did. Yeah, they had never won a Euros competition ever, yeah. um, and he caught him off guard with that. And the reporter just didn't know what to say. But yeah, that that line is so funny. Has it ever been home? <laughs> That's so great. But let's go, let's go ahead and get into it. We led off with the Italian uh, national anthem. I mean, and by the way, guys, if you've never seen the Italian national team, and it doesn't matter, it's not just this one. You go watch any Italian national football team match, a friendly, a competitive match, a league match, a group stage match, a knockout game at the Euros or World Cup or whatever, these dudes will give you chills screaming, singing with tears in their face or coming down their face, basically singing the Italian national anthem. It's a thing of beauty. I mean, you've got to go YouTube and watch it or watch it the next time Italy plays. Um, it, it's special. But it, Peyton, today was a battle of giants in the football world. Italy and Spain. 
Historically, Italy has had Spain's number, but the Spain Renaissance, you go back to, you were just talking about how weird it's not having NES, but this is a new generation of Spanish football, but you go back just a decade ago, they were the first team to win um, back-to-back Euros. And in the midst of that, they win the Euros in 2008. In 2010, they win the World Cup. And then in 2012, they go repeat the Euros. What a crazy four-year, five-year stretch. Then they kind of hit a little lull, but now they're building themselves back up. But Peyton, you go back to 2012 in the Euro final. Italy and Spain, Spain throttled the Italians. And I remember that very well. They throttled them. It was like 4-0. Yep. Fernando Torres got in on it. Uh, David Villa. I mean, it was an embarrassment. Come 2016 in the Euros, in the round of 16, Italy. Facebook. What is that? What is that? Oh, yeah, it was on my end. I was going to say, okay. But anyways, in 2016 Euros, in the round of 16 knockouts, Italy exact, or extracts some revenge by knocking out Spain. So here we are again. The two giants, the two rivals going head-to-head in Wembley Stadium, arguably one of the most historic sporting venues in the entire world. These two giants are clashing. By the way, it ended up being a great atmosphere, but I don't know if you know this. I didn't even know until this morning that listening to the ESPN FC guys talk about it, but the way England it has their travel restrictions still for COVID and everything because things overseas are different. Um, Italy and Spain are two of the countries that ha- they ha- the only way they can come into, uh, especially like London and England and everything, they have to be negative on COVID tests and be have proof of that, showing that going back 10 days. Well, when Italy and Spain found out that they're going to be playing even in the semifinals, it's not been 10 days yet. So a lot of Italian people and Spanish people from those actual countries didn't get a chance to go to Wembley today. But the stadium was full because London is such a metropolis and has such a diverse community. There's a big Italian population and a big Spanish population that showed up out in force that live around, you know, in London or around London or in England close enough they could come to Wembley. And I'm sure there's a lot of just regular English folks who love the game or maybe love Serie A or love La Liga or certain players. So the atmosphere was great today, but they were a little concerned because – a lot of true um, Azuri fans and a lot of true um, Spanish fans from those said countries didn't have a chance to come into that because they didn't have um, enough time to get a, a negative COVID result shown and proof positive. Um, but the, the atmosphere was tremendous, Peyton. The Italians, the game plan and the scouting report, we had talked about it um, the last couple of days leading up to today's match. The, the, theory, the working theory that we kind of all came up with and all the experts is that Italy, because they're normally high-pressing and the Spanish side has been high-pressing with their youth and exuberant, um, the Span- both teams really lack a true number nine goal-scoring threat in this tournament, but both of them rely on different areas to create goals, create chances, and both rely on the high-press. The, the working thought coming in, this is the same thing I, I kind of thought you know, pregame, is that Italy would be okay with Spain maybe not necessarily dominating possession, but they'd be okay with them having more of the possession because they're at the end they figured that they would be able to strike on a counter, go score, and then set up shop defensively. But what happened 
is the Spanish side did dominate the ball. And you'll talk about this and how they were playing not necessarily tiki-taka, but they were death by a thousand cuts on their passes. But they're high press. For some reason, Italy did not high press all the time like they normally have been. They just kind of just set up two lines of four or five and the back and just defended. And the Spanish team wore them out for a lot of the match, dominating the ball in the midfield, getting the ball, keeping the ball in um, their own, you know, their attacking third, putting a lot of pressure on Italy. And Italy could not play with the ball long enough. That high press really, really did a number to the Italians. They had so many turnovers, missed possessions. They had Donnarumma uh, nervous, basically. Uh, when Murata or whoever was chasing the ball would bait him into kicking the ball out of bounds instead of making a good pass. The Spanish side took the fight to Italy the, pretty much for the full 90 minutes of the regulation and into extra time. Because, yes, I know I'm jumping ahead a little bit. It went to extra time, then it went to penalties. We'll not spoil the results just yet. But the Spanish side did more than what I thought they would. And I was a little disappointed upon hearing and eventually seeing myself the Italian team, they just looked a little tired tactically and maybe overwhelmed and surprised by the Spanish youth and the way that they were chasing the ball around and high pressing. But Italy did not take value possession like they should have or normally do, um, especially in the midfield. But again, a lot of that's credit to, um, to Spain because guys like, and you hear on the commentary team, Taylor Twelman kept talking about it that Jorginho normally can, especially can normally just kind of really dominate the ball and pick out passes. But he had to worry so much about guys like Danny Olmo making runs past him that he did not have a chance to get his footing in this game. And it really showed. Um, before I go in any further, Peyton, I'll let you speak on it um, because I know <clears throat> you're the exact same thing about how the Spanish high press and the, just really taking the fight for Italy was a big factor in this match. This looked like vintage Spain to me. A lot of passes in the midfield. Defense looked pretty strong, even though at times they got a little iffy when Italy would try to counterattack, especially early in that first half and the late in the second half. Um, i tell you what, this is like the most impressive I've seen Spain since they won the Euros in 2012, probably. When they had Iniesta, you had Xavi, you had uh, – uh, Polio, PK, all those guys, Ethan Casillas in goal. Um, and they end up beating Portugal in the semis and then and penalty kicks and then obviously destroyed Italy for now in the final. They, they, this squad looked very impressive. You know, they got a lot of young players on this team. They don't have a, a true number nine uh, to you can trust when it gets an attacking third to give him the ball and he'll find a way to score up in the air on the feet. Don't matter. Uh, they don't have a guy like that. Uh, but it didn't matter because they dominated coming into this game, coming in really coming into the semifinal game all tournament long in the knockout on the group stage and the knockout stages. Italy has dominated teams in the midfield, except for today. This whole game, it's not like for the first half or second half or even an extra time. This whole game, Spain, most importantly, Pedri dominated Italy in the midfield. Verratti couldn't do anything. Dorgino couldn't find space to do anything. Um, not having Spinozola to attacking definitely hurt, um, at least definitely hurt some. 
But this Spanish squad, I think at one point in the first half, like 20 minutes in, Spain had 70% of the possession. Yeah, it finished it finished the game. Spain 65, Italy 35 in possession. Here's a, here's a couple things, too. We talked about the high press. The, the way to beat the high press is you got to have composure. There's two ways of beating it. The most common way is what Italy tried to do, but they they were always so just the timing was off or they would kick the ball away and turn the ball. If this was a basketball game, Italy had 40 turnovers tonight or this afternoon. But Italy tried to play over the top and get guys like Insigne and Chiesa and Immobile. And when Berardi come on, they tried to play over the top because the Spain back line is a little bit aging and inexperienced some. Uh, not necessarily inexperienced, that's not the right word, but they're a little aging and their pace is definitely not there um, compared to the Italian attack, at least. And um, Italy tried to play over the top, but Italy got called for eight offside. Yeah. Eight of them. And that's all because they felt the pressure of the high press. Their runs weren't there and their forwards are breaking off the back line too early or the passes would be too late after they made a good break and they couldn't do it. Um but the other way to beat the, the beat the high press is to quickly play the ball through the middle, keep possession, and then make four runs off that. Because when a team presses high, Peyton, you know this, their back line, either the back three or back four, comes up to about midfield to keep possession and put the pressure. Well, you break through that, then it's a 1v1 in most cases, or a 2v1 versus the keeper. Italy just could not find that. They had a couple opportunities. <clears throat> never was able to but finally after halftime an hour into the match 60th minute Frederico Chiesa my boy made a beautiful 1v1 play beautiful bender nothing nothing the keeper could have done to stop that Italy finally after an hour went up one nil yeah they got it and the reason he got that goal and got open space to get a 1v1 because they counterattacked. Spain doing the normal stuff without a lot of passes in the midfield. Then they broke free, and I don't actually remember too much of what happened. I know it was a, pretty much it got to Donnarumma. He laid it out, and then Italy went on a counterattack and then eventually got to Chiesa, a little outside the box, and he curled in a beautiful one. Um, that nothing, what you said, nobody, whether it was Buffon, Ica Casillas, uh, David De Gea, don't matter. No goalkeeper is saving that shot. Uh, he called it perfectly, and he's been dominant, really, in this whole tournament. And uh, it, I know he plays for Juventus, and I know uh, I would like to have him on Madrid. I know you probably like to have him yeah, on Milan. Oh, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, he has been very oppressive this tournament. And I told Dad before that, because me and him watched this game, I was like, if Italy don't score here soon, I'm not liking the way they're playing because they're getting dominated in the midfield. Their attacking's not really getting too much opportunities to score. And Benucci and Chiellini's not really getting exposed, but they're having trouble uh, stopping Spain from getting to the attacking third. I'm like, if they don't score here very quickly, Spain could win this game. And if they score, they'll probably score a couple more after that, just the way momentum goes and how well they're playing. But Chiesa said, uh-uh, ain't having that. Uh, and ended up scoring that beautiful goal, make him go up one now. So then all Italy has to do is for the next half an hour is ride out the momentum. And they did that for 20 Four minutes. Let me see exactly when Morata scored. Um, what minute was it? Hold on, I'm trying to find exactly what minute it was. 
Oh, uh, the 80th minute. So they, they, they played 20 more minutes and they had 10 to go. And Murata, a beautiful one-two link up with Danny Olmo, puts the ball past Donnarumma, um, near side of the post. Not much you can do about it, to be honest with the other, and try to stop the one-two. Spain equalizes. And then from there, it just became a game of basically fatigue. Italy was so tired and worn down. You could tell even when it went to extra time. Spain there at the end of regulation and stoppage time, there's four minutes put up, and Spain had opportunities. They had a couple corners that were real iffy. Donnarumma had to save Italy from, from death, basically. It goes to extra time, an extra 30 minutes are played, and Italy the whole time. They had one opportunity where there was a ball, an opportunity to break free. Belotti had a chance for a streaking Berardi going. He got open. He timed the run beautifully, and Belotti, the through ball was short. Hey, he got that through, Berardi in on the keeper. It's just him and Unai Simon, and anything could happen. But basically, it was more the same. Spain dominated could not break through and score you could really just tell though Italy was playing and basically just playing for penalty kicks they were just hoping not to get beat putting their defensive shoes on and they were just playing for penalty kicks because they were worn out they looked tired that Spain press put a put a number on them and by the way I, I like Ciro Immobile as a club striker but I'm done with him too the guys at Italian football TV last week after the win against Belgium were previewing it, and they were all talking about, I'm done with him as far as the as literally number one striker because the guy does not link up play. He's scared. He's so scared to shoot. This is the same guy at the club level that scores 100-some goals inside of three or four seasons, but yet has such a hard time playing as a number nine because of the weight of the shirt, it seems like, representing Italy. Um, and Belotti's not much better, but at least Belotti does some good stuff as far as his physical strength. You can tell a couple times in that when he came on, yeah, he was kind of tired and he doesn't have pace and all this other stuff, but he was able to the Spanish brigade basically because he's strong enough to hold up play and allow, you know, allow everybody to get set for a second. But I'm I'm done with Immobile. Um as the Italian national team striker. He's just like the guys at the Italian football TV said, he's so lucky that he does not have hardly any competition to push him. Because if he had any comp, like an informed Mario Balotelli from 2012 or Alessandro Del Piero or whoever, um, Simone Inzaghi, you know, Pippo, any of those great Italian, he would not be playing right now. He looks so scared and lost out there at times that it's disappointing. It's so disappointing. Yeah, uh, I'd probably because especially uh, I think it was the game against Austria in the round of sixteen when Belotti came on, he really created that goal for Italy. I think it was that game. It was. Um, he held him off and ended up finding whoever it was who ended up scoring. I think Chiesa. it was Chiesa. Yeah, he ended up yep. finding Chiesa and he ended up scoring. Then you score two goals that game. Yeah, two, it was two one. I see it right here. Um, so yeah, he created actually both opportunities for that game to really open up Italy to make them go through to play Belgium. But, yeah, I agree. I think Abelotti needs to play more. Uh, well, I think he needs a start. Instead of coming off the bench, he needs a start. And if you need, um, say if this final, if you need some more attacking force, you can bring a Mobley back on. Maybe maybe this will be a 
a wake up call for him. Maybe he'll realize that he's not playing well and he's going to stop being so timid and so scared. And whenever he gets the opportunity to shoot the ball, he needs to take his opportunities because he might not get them all the time. Um, cause if he's not going to take these, someone else will. So, yeah. yeah. And, um, I don't know, man. I just, it's disappointing. You got to give credit to Berardi. I thought he came on, although he didn't score, I thought coming off the bench, he hadn't played really in a little while. And, um, I, I thought he played decent, but let's get to the penalty shot. Cause to me, there's nothing harder in sports than a penalty shootout, both of the, the shooter and definitely the goalkeeper. I mean, all the weight of the world is on your shoulders of both ends. And this is that high stakes. Peyton, what a shootout. Let's go shot for shot. Italy won the toss. And in, and in football, soccer, the advantage, at least in the eyes of um, this game, is to go first. Because if you score, you put the pressure on the, the second team. Normally in situations like this, like in, uh, you know, like college football, for instance, their overtime rule, you want to go second. You want the ball second. Yeah. Um, but Italy won the toss. They were able to pick, and they went first in the shootout. Upsets Manuel Locatelli. I like Manuel Locatelli. He had a good game um, back in the group stage. He scored a goal. I actually scored a, uh, two of them. But, man, he steps up chance to put Italy out front because really in a penalty shootout one miss is all it takes and the, the game's over. He steps up and misses the first shot of the penalty shootout. I'm thinking oh my god. Oh my god. But Danny Olmo comes up for the Spanish side. Well, I don't know what he was doing. He was shooting to the freaking moon, but oh he my. tried to, he tried to go top post, top left post, our left, Donnarumma and his well Donnarumma's right. And uh he skied it. He he just shot it too high and give credit to the announcers too cuz they talked about it. They said um in scouting point during the Swiss shootout, he tried the exact same shot and it went in. Well, Donnarumma guessed the right way. Get Donnarumma guessed the right way. Um, when he is, if the ball was lower, would he have got to it? Maybe he might have. He was there, but nonetheless, almost skies it. So after one shot apiece, we're still at nil nil. And I'm like, wow. So here it goes. Velotti comes up as the second shooter for the Italian side. And of course, he puts it, he finds the back of the net. Um, he puts it, but he actually went left as well because Locatelli went low and left. And, um, Simone got it. Well, Bilotti put tons of pace behind it. The exact yeah. same spot. Simone guessed the right way again, but you're not stopping that one. I mean, nope. he put a ton of pace behind that one. Yeah. Um, Gerard um, Gerard Moreno was up next for the Spanish side. He was able to beat Donnarumma, so we're still at level at 1-1 in penalties. The the cap the well, Chiellini's the captain, but Benucci's one of the rocks for this foundation. He's a great penalty taker. If you remember in 2016 against Germany, he tucked that penalty uh, against the German side. He stepped up as the third shooter for Italy, puts it uh, past Simone easily. Italian's up 2-1. The next shooter for the Spanish side is Thiago Alcantara, who actually subbed on late, didn't really have much of an impact, but he was able to beat Donnarumma. So after three penalty shots, we are still tied 2-2. Now here's where things get interesting. 
the fourth penalty taker is. They subbed, recently subbed on Frederico Bernadeschi, who's hardly seen any minutes in this tournament, but he's a good penalty shooter and more of an attacking midfielder. He steps up calmly and coolly, knocks it past Simone to put him, the Italians up 3-2. The fourth penalty taker, the goal scorer in regulation to tie the game up, Al- Alvaro Murata, the Juve man has the weight of the world on his shoulders. The Spanish media has been eating him alive. He steps up and is denied by Gijo Donnarumma, goes bottom right, and Gijo's there. Now all the momentum is in the Italians' favor. They're at 3-2 going into the fifth shot. All they've got to do is find the back net. Peyton, I'll let you take it from here. This was the coldest penalty I've ever seen in my life, most likely. Um, and I know after this game, just real quick, Georgino, he came up, um, took his penalty. Before he shot the ball, he does a little stutter step, kind of a little jump up to do a little hesitation. And then it froze the shit out of the Spanish goalkeeper. Literally, he went and ended up going bottom line after that. And before the ball went into the back of the net, the Spanish goalkeeper, he always would applaud him because he know he just got shit on. Uh, that penalty by Georgino was so cold. And it was such a perfect way to send them into the final because, my God, that penalty was nasty. Ice in the veins. Um, I mean, it, it, to describe it, you'd have to go back and watch this, but Georgino basically, imagine a run-up, but, like, as you come up on the ball, most people are got their head down looking to strike the ball either in their laces, the side of the boot, or whatever. He does like a hop, like a one, two hop. And during the hop, because you're not used to it at all, you're not used to it at all. The keeper's just like, What the what the hell is going on? And Giorgino just calmly, coolly puts it in the back net, far right. Italy. Does not play well at all. Spain dominates the majority of this match. But at the end of the day, all that matters is the win. Italy moves on to the final, the Euro 2020 final. Gets to play it again in Wembley Stadium. Let me tell you a little quick side note here. So I'm at work. So I sadly missed most of the match. I was able on lunch, I was able to catch some of the first half and everything. But Peyton was, of course, updating me, and I was checking Twitter when I can't. Well, I was able to see the penalty shootout because we had closed down, and I'm, you know, doing dishes and all this other stuff, right? Well, I have this older gentleman who works with me while we're closing down and tearing stuff apart and everything and cleaning up. Well, I've got my earbuds in, and I'm screaming. Locatelli misses. I'm like, shit, and everything. Well, when it came to Donnarumma's save of Murata. I was like, Forza Gijo, Forza Gijo, let's go. And he's looking at me like, what the, like, what the fuck's wrong with you? Because he don't know. <laughs> well, then Giorgino put that, did that, put that in the side, or, you know, put that in the back of the net. I screamed, let's fucking go. And I'm screaming like an idiot. And he's looking at me. And I said, Ron, my bad, dude. <laughs> I said, Italy just won. And I'm just going nuts. He goes, I thought I was going to have to call Craig back here, which is another coworker. He goes, I thought I'm going to call Craig back here to come check, see if you were all right. <laughs> 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 but uh, sure. 
them. Yeah, I mean, what a match, though. I mean, all credit to Spain. They've got some studs. I mean, Spain is, especially if they can figure out their their number nine situation. Next winner in the World Cup, they are going to be a freaking problem. Mark my words. I would underestimate Spain a little bit because I didn't think they looked impressive at all during this run. But against Italy, they showed that they could be a real problem. And I think, I think next, unless something crazy happens, they're going to be one of the favorites to, to win the damn tournament next year in the World Cup. Just my opinion. Well, yeah, like you said, I think figure out who the number nine is going to be. Um, because Pedri and I, oh, I hate that he plays for Barcelona. I wish so badly he played for Madrid, at least not in the Liga at all. So I don't have to worry about his ass whole season long. But yeah, he is a he's a superstar pretty much. He dominated that midfield, like I said. Luis Enrique, who's a Spanish coach, called he him said, he Iniesta. Said, yeah, he was like Iniesta in the year of 2020. Um, and then the loss against Italy, like he was so impressive. And uh, Danny Olmo, uh, I mentioned him on our last show that he will link to get him. Madrid's linked to get him from uh, Lipsbick, RB Lipsick. Uh, so hopefully that we can get him and lock him up because he actually played pretty well, even though he skied that penalty before that. He was creating opportunities, uh, taking defenders one on one, and just uh, almost at AC Milan, but Italy, they just couldn't really contain him as much. But uh, yeah, I was very impressed with him. Very super impressed with Pedri. The Spanish squad, they just need a number nine and maybe a better goalkeeper because I don't know what happened since Iga Casillas retired, but their goalkeepers have not been good. Even David De Gea has not been good. So if they can figure out maybe their goalkeeper situation, get a number nine, they can actually score, they're going to be good. For me, the man of the match, um, just based on the pressure and as much fire as he's been under as far as legit, where the Spanish side had it and uh, basically taking shots at him all day, it felt like, or putting him under. To me, despite my feelings on how he left AC Milan, Zizio Donnarumma at only 22 years old in this spot has proven he's one of the best goalkeepers in the world. And to me, he was the man of the match, especially what he did. Uh, saving Italy's ass, not only in the regulation and extra time, but of course in the penalty shootout, stopping two shots. And uh, well, I, I guess really the one he stopped Murata because almost shot it wide. But um, yet yeah, to me, Gigi Donnarumma was the man of the match. And then if you had to give one for Spain, it would probably be Pedri, just in my opinion. Um, Peyton, but so where do we go from here as far as the Italian team? Yes, this was not a good performance. And um, on the whole, or what we've been come to expect, but all that matters is you win advance. This team has so much heart; they feel destined to win this whole tournament. Um, it, it's just one of those teams. They seem so connected. They're experienced, yet young and exuberant. Yet Mancini's had them tactically what they need to be for the most part. And this team feels like they're destined to win this damn tournament. I know that's me as an Italian fan, and I love this team but it just feels like they're destined to win. Now, the keys are what scared me coming in after losing Spinazzola, reared some of its ugly head. And I don't want to say Emerson played bad because I thought Emerson was decent. And then Toloi came on was decent. And I thought um, Di Lorenzo's not really been the greatest, but I'm just going to be honest. But they did well enough to hold their own. They didn't completely screw up. But against probably England or, or maybe Denmark, they're going to have to be better. The fullback. But I don't expect the midfield to play that bad again. I think part of the reason they played bad 
is because the Spanish team just had so much youth and legs under them and the high press completely tactically tucked away Verratti and took took away Barella and Jorginho because they had to worry about defending as opposed to holding on the ball and going forward like they like to. I think whether they play England or Denmark, you're going to see the best version of the Italian midfield trio. And I think it's going to be a different match, obviously. But I think what Spain did took a lot away. But, yeah, if I have one concern, it's going to be the fullbacks. My second concern is going to be whether it's Immobile or Brelotti. We have to have great play from our number nine. Well, in this tournament, we mentioned this before, same thing in March Madness, the same thing in any other sport. That's when if you lose one game, you're out. You just got to survive in advance, and that's exactly what they did. They escaped, even though they played the worst game they played um, probably in a while, but definitely in this tournament, did not play well at all. Midfield got destroyed. Attacking didn't look too well besides Chiesa, and defense kind of got at least a little bit exposed. Um, they still hang on, got to find a way into the penalty shootout, stayed composed, stayed calm, and then Georgina just – craziest greatest penalty I've ever seen in my life I'm just going to go ahead and say that out there right now at least the coldest one in my life but uh yeah they end up surviving in advance they definitely got to play way better than that especially if they play England um in the final which that's the matchup I really want I want it to because it's going to be in Wembley it's going to be in England's back or it's going to be in England's home um I as a fan of soccer and I've grown to love this sport a lot especially over probably I started watching probably like 2012 Euros well, around that time, at least. So the love of going over the sport, that's the matchup as a fan that I want to see. If it's Denmark, then so what? But I'm glad Italy went through. Um, you mentioned Italian football TV a little bit early. This was the reaction uh, and the penalty shootout from Jorginho winning. And it's pretty fun. I ain't going to play the whole thing because it's kind of long, but I'm at least play at least a little bit of it. So here you go. If Jorginho scores, does Italy make the final of the Euros? They also shared a story. <laughs> they also shared, that was like everyone, right? Because this was basically what I was doing in the cleaning up after work. What I was talking about, but um, and I, people will ask me too. Well, how how were you able to comment on this game? Because obviously, I went back and seen a lot of the highlights and what I missed and stuff, you know. Um, but one other final funny story about this, and we'll move on to other match. And but um, the Italian football TV showed too, because obviously in New York City, especially like Brooklyn area, there's a ton, a huge Italian population, um, immigrants from way back when, family and all this other stuff. In Brooklyn, there were thousands probably, if not thousands, at least hundreds of Italian fans or just per, you know, Italian Americans that were cheering in the streets. They stopped a freaking bus. They stopped a bus. So- <laughs> On and banging on the windows, not to violate or do not suit, but just because they were cheering. And to get the driver to calm down and go along with it, they gave him cookies and <laughs> seven layered cookies. Seven layered like cookies. And he was okay with it. He's like, hell yeah. And they were just partying in the street. They weren't disrupting nobody. They weren't like 
No, this wasn't no Connor situation. No, they weren't. They weren't. They weren't being disrespectful. They wasn't a whole lot. It was like maybe like a twenty-minute deal, and then it got cleared away. But how great is that? How great is that? That's so fucking awesome. Yeah, that's uh, that's actually that's really cool. That reaction was funny. I was cheering because I wanted Italy to win, but. Yeah, when he put that penalty in, I stood up because, like I said, that penalty was nasty. And, uh, yeah, good for you. I mean, maybe we, we won it in 2016. Maybe y'all can finally get one because over the past, I mean, I wouldn't say decade because 2012 you made the U.S. at least. But this really past five or six years, you guys have struggled back to your lowest rankings and the FIFA rankings, um, had to battle way your way back, had to redefine how well you play, you know, what your team's going to be about and how you play. Um, good for you. Yeah, now here we are in the Euro final, 33 match unbeaten streak. So let's go. But the question is now, who's going to meet up with the Italians in Wembley Stadium on Sunday afternoon? And we'll find out tomorrow when the second leg is played. I don't like how they do that because even though it's only a day and this has been done this for forever, but man, that's still an extra day that a team gets the re- like the Italy gets the rest and recover over England and Denmark. I think that they should be played maybe I'm not at the same time, but you can play on staggered even. A couple hours is better than a whole day, but that's neither here nor there. England in their backyard against Wembley, they have all the pressure in the world. They're the favorites to win this thing. They're in their home. They got this slogan, like you mentioned earlier. It's coming home that carried over from their World Cup 2018 run. The fans are starving. There's generations upon generations of English football fans who've never seen England win a single big tournament. And, you know, unless you were around in 1966, you don't remember nothing like that. They've never won a Euro. This is, this is the best chance that they've maybe ever had, or at least in a long, long, long time. And they're running up against an emotional favorite. If you don't have a dog in this hunt anymore, you're pulling for Denmark. Yes, based off of everything. Um, and that's just the way it is. If you're a fan of the underdogs, if you're a fan of an emotional moment, and you don't have a team left, if you're not an Italian fan, or you don't, you're not an English fan, you're pulling for Denmark. Um, most likely. Because of the Christian Eriksen and the way they're pulling together, and they've had this great run without their, their best player. Um, got to give credit to their captain, you know, Simone Kier. Shout out AC Milan, great defender for us. But the reality is that they're going in their backyard. They're playing a tough-ass England team that has a lot of weapons. I see England struggling for a good while. I can see Denmark really defending hard. And let's not kid ourselves. They've got a really good striker. Casper Dolberg is one of the top, uh, top goals men as far as scoring goals left in this tournament. He's got like three or four goals in this competition, which is quite a bit in a competition like this. Um, so he knows how to poach goals. England's going to be very aware because he can play through the air a little bit as well. Uh, he's sneaky and crafty. But the reality is, if England plays to their potential, if they hold possession, and if they get their wingers free with the overlapping fullback that they've been doing with Shaw, and then you have Harry Kane going through the middle. Now, Kane's going to have a difficult time because he's, he's big, but he, how's he going to match up with Simone Kier? Because Kier is physical as shit, and that's why I love him at Milan. But the reality is if England can play through the middle and then bust it out wide with guys like Sterling and then get it in 
to Kane through the middle, Peyton, they're not going to beat Denmark 4-0 like they did against um, – why do I keep forgetting who they played? Ukraine. Ukraine, thank you. They're not going to beat them like that, but I can easily see them beating them like 3-1, 3-2, 4-2. But that's all dependent if England shows up. Um, I'm hearing that the weather is potentially going to be rainy, so that could change the whole dynamic of pitch. Obviously, a rain, and you think about pro football, where a field is rainy and muddy and nasty, that slows down fast players. What's Raheem Sterling? Fast <clears throat> as shit. That could be in favor of a, a gritty team like Denmark. You just never know. But all signs point to England getting through to the final and in a matchup with the Italians. That's just the way I kind of see it. Again, this is a beautiful game. You just never know. I think early on, England gets a goal. I say within the 20-minute mark, England will be up. Um, maybe uh, Denmark can respond to that and get an equalizer, but I still think England's going to score very, very quickly. Um, and then after that, I think England, I, I don't think they're going to beat them 4-0 like they did Ukraine, but I do think they're going to score a couple goals, maybe three goals. I think Denmark... Uh, they're going to score at least one goal. So I'll probably say 3-1 England goes through. Phil Foden, um, fun player to watch, plays for Manchester City. Uh, Jordan Hiddenshin plays for Liverpool. They got guys in the midfield who's very talented, who can score goals himself and set other players up. Raheem Sterling blitzing down the side. Harry Kane is the number nine. Luke Shaw coming up, crossing the ball in. Um, I don't really see too many weaknesses. Maybe the keeper. But other than that, this England squad has impressed me a lot. And uh, we get the matchup I want, England versus Italy in the final this Sunday. I think the question for it or England is, like, their defense, like guys like Harry Maguire and John Stones and uh, Shaw and Walker, are they going to be challenged a lot? Because, like I mentioned, Casper Goldberg, three matches, three goals. One of the top scorers in the entire tournament. Um, you look at England, they've got two guys with three goals as well, Harry Kane and Raheem Sterling. It's going to be very, very interesting. Uh, again, I, and England has a ton, a ton of pressure on them. It's in their backyard. They've got to get this done. You look at assists, too. Luke Shaw, four matches, three assists. Jack Grealish, three matches, two assists. I mean, they, they've got some dudes. They've got some dudes. Uh, could you imagine the backlash if they lose? Like, this is their best chance in many, many decades to finally get a big win because even against Italy, they'll probably be favored. Oh yeah. If they can't do it now, the question is going to become when. And um, I'm, I was just looking at this too. The, the starting 11 that England went with against Ukraine went Harry Kane, Sterling, Mount, Sancho as your kind of four attack or four attacking and then Declan Rice and Calvin Phillips as your two central defensive mids. And then your back four was Luke Shaw, Harry Maguire, John Stones, and Kyle Walker with Jordan Pickford in between the posts. Um, I could see something similar like that. Maybe if they want to back off a little bit with Mason Mountain, then you go Jack Grealish. But they've definitely got options, Peyton. I just see you know, here in the last five matchups here, though, here's an interesting one. The uh, UEFA Nations League, their last matchup, October 14th of last year, Denmark beat them 1-0. And then they had a draw September 8th of last year in the United Nations League. So Denmark's got their number actually here lately. Yeah, Denmark's got their number in the last <laughs> two matchups. A draw and then a 1-0 victory. So it's not over yet. I mean, it's, it's going to be a challenge for England, let's be honest. 
Uh, I don't know. I, don't, I mean, I can see why, but I just think this England squad's too good. Uh, too talented, too much pace on the wings. Um, I think England pretty easily, to be honest. No offense to Denmark. They've had a great line. If Italy would have got beat today by Spain, I 100% would be waiting for Denmark to win this game. But since Italy went through, I've kind of had, since you kind of waited for Portugal this season or this tournament. Um, and then when we won the final in 2016, I feel like it's my turn to return the favor. So I went for Italy to win. Um, but if they had a loss, I'd definitely be rooting for Denmark. But I just don't see it. I think England goes through. So then that would put us at a matchup of Italy and England. We will talk about that potential matchup or if it's Italy and Denmark this weekend, previewing the match and everything. Um, and then we'll have post-show after sometime next week talking about whoever won and whatnot. We also have this other huge tournament going on in the world down in South America, the Copa America. We mentioned in episode one briefly, and we'll cover briefly here. Peyton, we're down to the semifinals in that. Brazil and Peru and Argentina and Colombia. The first semifinal took place last night with a lone goal being scored for the Brazilians. Former AC Milan man, Lucas Paqueta, 35th minute winner. They held one against a tough and game Peru side who had a great run through the tournament, outlasting teams like Uruguay, um, surprisingly, and Venezuela and some other pretty tough teams. But obviously the favorites, Peyton Brazil, who are ranked currently third in the last FIFA world rankings, make it as they should have and favored to, to another Copa America final. The question is, who will they be playing on Saturday night? Yeah, this game between this other sem- semifinal game that just literally just ended probably like 30 minutes, an hour ago. Um, I ended up, there's Argentina versus Colombia. I ended up missing the first goal because we was at practice. Got home to see the rest of the second half. And just real quick, I don't know. I think this is what they said, but apparently there was like 27 fouls called in the first half. And I feel like there was like 30 fouls called in the second half. Like this was wild. Six yellow cards for Colombia, four yellow cards for Argentina. But anyways, besides this, Luis Diaz, because uh, Lionel Martinez, or Martinez um, he ended up scoring the first goal in the seventh minute very early on. Messi set him up on a beautiful pass, and he just put it in the back of the net. Nothing Ospina could have done to save it. In the second half, Luis Diaz got a little counterattack, somehow find open space, got past, I think, Otamendi on the left side. I don't know how the hell he scored this goal. He literally, I don't know if you've seen it yet, but he literally like hit it with his toe, kind of like chipped the keeper as he was sliding down and somehow went far post and ended up scoring a goal. And uh, it was 1-1. And the way the Copa America, I don't know if they started doing this this season or for this Copa America or if they've done it in the past before, but 
the finals going to be different, but until it hits the finals, the semifinals, and any other knockout stage, after the 60 minutes, or after the 90 minutes is over with, it doesn't go into extra time. It goes straight into penalty kicks. Huh. Yeah. So after the 90 minutes was over, um, which this game is back and forth, Messi had a chance to seal the deal with like 10 minutes left to go, like the 80th minute mark, but it hit the post, inside of the post. And uh, I don't know who had the chance to put it in, but ended up getting blocked by a Columbia defender. But yeah, this game was wild. Um, and then it, it obviously, it went into penalty kicks. And uh, yeah, Argentina has not had good history in penalty kicks. No. In 2015, they lost to Chile in the finals to penalty kicks. And the next year after that, they lost to Chile again in penalty kicks. Messi. Um, yeah, Messi, Messi skied it in the, in the 2016 final. But, uh, yeah, the, uh, let's see. I got the commentary right here. Um, I, yeah, Argentina. I guess yeah, I got shit out here. And, by the way, people who may not know, you see Colombia, like, eh, okay, maybe you know Argentina, but Colombia's got a really tough side. Like, really they've got squad. a really, yeah. Yeah. Where are they ranked actually in FIFA World Ranks? Let me pull that up. I've got it up. Um, Colombia, because Argentina is ranked A. Colombia's 15th. Mm, yeah. So, yeah, they got, they, they got really good players. They don't have Hamas Rodriguez. I'm not sure why he went in the squad. I guess he really hasn't been informed at all. But they got one, Condrado, who plays for Juventus and the Serie A. Um, they got good players like that. They got David Ospina in goal, um, who's a good keeper. But – yeah, this one to penalty kicks. Uh, Columbia won the toss and ended up electing to go first, kind of like Italy did when in the Spain game when they went to penalties. Uh, one Cordado stepped up, he converted it. Uh, right footed shot, bottom left corner. Uh, Martinez almost saved that. He cracked, he picked the right side, but at um, Cordado just had too much pace, too much power on it, and By there's the nothing way, he could have done. We talk about how fucking great. Uh, Martinez was and entertaining like when he was oh you can like hear him he talking was, shit you because there's not like any fans yeah still down there and he was just talking shit he was throwing basically crotch chops he him. literally did yeah um mess after that Messi ended up coming on because I don't know I know anytime Ronaldo in club or when he's playing for Portugal he normally goes like either fourth or fifth Messi for some reason I don't know why he does this maybe to start it off right but he always seems to go first um, I don't know why he decides to do that or his manager or whatever decides to do that, but ended up working out this time because even though in 2016, he skied it. He put it in the top right corner. Beautiful penalty. I think it hit the camera too on the, yeah, he, uh, he, on the yeah. um, goal. Beautiful penalty. Nothing that Alspina could have done to save it. It was 1-1 after that. Uh, Davidson Sanchez, he came up, um, went bottom right corner, and Martinez saved it. Uh, after that, uh, Rodrigo DePaul came off of Argentina, skied it as well, or he skied it. Um, so it's still, what is it, still 1 1. 1 yeah. Uh, after that, Yuri Mina, um, he ended up getting his penalty saved. He went bottom right corner, very poor penalty, easy for Martinez to stop. Um, after that, uh, Paredes, who plays for PSG, um, plays in the midfield. He converts uh, with a right-footed shot to the bottom left corner. Argentina now has the advantage. They're up 2-1. Uh, Colombia's up next. Miguel Boa, uh, he ended up tying it 2-2. Um, he went actually kind of what um, – who was it he went for Spain that went in the middle? Oh, um, 
Moreno. Moreno, yeah. He basically the same thing. He just went top, middle, and ended up converting it. Uh, after that, uh, Martinez stepped up. The gold scorer who scored at the eighth-minute mark to eventually put Argentina up 1-0. Uh, he ended up converting a beautiful penalty to the bottom left corner. By the way, before you give the last one here, uh, yeah, Borja, or top left corner, to, excuse me, Borja for Colombia when he scored that boy, he went and talked some serious shit to Martinez too. He was like, "Say something now, say something now." And he was like doing the the motions back, and Martinez they showed him. He's like, "Fuck off." Yeah, um, and then the final it took because they have the advantage up three two. All they got to do is save one more penalty. And they end up going through uh, Edwin Cardano for Columbia. He steps up and very piss poor penalty. Um, ended up, Martinez ended up saving it and he went bottom right corner, saved it with ease. And uh, yeah, Argentina breaks the coast and goes through. And now we got Argentina versus Brazil in the Copa America final. And it's being played in Brazil. Yeah, so. and this is a massive, I mean, this is huge rivals. Um, this would be Kentucky, Louisville, Duke, Carolina, F type rivalry between Argentina and Brazil. Um, and it's going to be fun. Neymar and company with that crazy skill and pace for Charleston, Paqueta, Everton, Fred, Casemiro. I mean, and then you got Messi. Think about, like, two Argentina. Sergio Aguero didn't even get off the bench. Angel Correa from the Champions Atletico did not even get off the bench. Juan Musso, Papa Gomez. So much talent, but they still, I mean, Messi, Di Maria, Lautaro Martinez. This is going to be a fun game. If this game isn't like a five-goal thriller, then I'm going to be seriously surprised. Yeah. I know. In Brazil, I mean, two teams inside the top five in the FIFA world rankings. Brazil is third, or I guess Argentina dropped a little bit, they're eighth, but two top ten teams. Brazil third, Argentina eighth, both with world name recognition both with a lot on the line a major competition this is a saturday night precursor to the sunday euro finale this will be a fun one yeah you mentioned aguero be on the bench some of the guys that you have on the bench that didn't get to really play in this game or didn't get to substitute um two players not heavily kept too much update with the Coca of America just because I've been so focused on the Euros of Portugal and then Italy and then everywhere else. Haven't really paid too much attention to like who's on what squad. And I don't know why these two players are left off, but two players that are Argentine who definitely could are big players that can help this Argentina squad even more. Mauro Icardi, or Icardi um, and uh, Dybala has not on this squad at all. Oh my God, Dybala is not. Yeah. I can understand Icardi a little bit because he really didn't have a good year at all with PSG. But Dybala is very interesting. Yeah, that's the one. Um, I don't know why he's not on the squad. Uh, I didn't thought he would be. But when I looked at the substitutes, especially I didn't see him as starting 11, and I looked at the substitutes and seeing he wasn't there, I was just a little bit shocked because he had a pretty good year at Juventus. He's a top-tier player. Don't know why he wouldn't be playing. I don't know. I haven't really kept up to date too much to find out, but yeah. I don't know, but Saturday night, Fox TV, Brazil and Argentina for the Copa America Championship is going to be fireworks. Fireworks. That'll be so fun. Peyton, as we close out the soccer portion of this, just real quickly, I'm going to talk just a second on the FIFA World Rankings. I've mentioned a few of the teams, but 
you know, we talked Belgium number one. I don't know how they do their point system, but Belgium in no case their scenario should have been number one. Top five, absolutely. Number one, no. In my opinion, France should have been the number one team coming into the tournament. France was second, Brazil third, England fourth, Portugal fifth, Spain sixth, Italy seventh, Argentina eighth, Uruguay ninth, and Denmark tenth. It's weird seeing Germany outside the top ten. They're twelfth. Um, we said Colombia fifteenth. The USA is twentieth. Um, so yeah, these change every month usually, although it hasn't been updated since May twenty seventh, right before all the tournaments started. But Peyton, here's and I laid this out to you earlier tonight. Here's my thoughts on how the the new world rankings should be post tournament. They probably won't be, but just my theory. If you're looking at the eye test and uh, the way they show out, the winner of the Euro competition. Now, unless it's Denmark, Denmark is tenth. Now they could make a case, but if it's especially if it's between Italy and England, who is seventh and fourth respectively. The winner of that, in my opinion, should be the new number one team because you're playing in a tougher competition in the Europeans as opposed to Copa America. They would both greatly deserve it. Whoever wins that, to me, is the number one team in the entire world. Whoever is the winner of the Copa America between Brazil and Argentina, because both are already top ten, would go second. Whoever finishes runner-up, especially, again, if it's England and Italy, would go in third. And then the runner-up is the Copa America between Brazil and Argentina fourth. And then you go from there. You drop Belgium maybe to sixth. I would still probably put France in fifth because you don't want to overanalyze to just one tournament. Spain, to me, they're sixth right now. They would – actually, they would probably stay closer around that range. But I think those top four have to be – we're just, again, assuming England we beat Denmark. But I think the top four, based on results, and in form and talent and everything else has to be the top, those top four teams. That's just my opinion. Here's the thing. If a team like Belgium, with the run they would have to go to get to the final, if they would have, they end up beating Portugal in the first round, who's ranked fifth right now. If they would have beat Italy in the, was it, the quarterfinals, um, that would have been Italy seventh right now. And then say if they had them play uh whoever, France uh, in the semis, or even Spain, who's six, and then played, like, say, England um, in the finals, who's fourth, then they very well be the number one team yeah, in, fe- in, in the world. I mean, by far, not even close. Even if they don't win the final, I'd still probably say they're the number one team just because all the, the stuff run. they have to go through. Even Portugal, because they're in the same region um, as everyone else was. If they had to go through it, I'd say Portugal's number one. I don't understand how they do these rankings. France coming in as the defending World Cup champions. Um, but there was only like, what, let's see, 2021, 2018, three years ago um, that they ended up winning the World Cup in pretty dominant fashion. So I don't know why France isn't number one. Don't really understand why Brazil is up to three. I don't um, get it, man. That, and they're playing a bunch of friendlies and stuff. I just don't get it. <clears throat> And I don't understand why Croatia is down to 14th because they was a runner-up in the World Cup. They had a hell of a run to get to the World Cup final. I don't know and why I, they're not higher. And I understand the World Cup was three years ago, so you can't go. But, but it's still, like, you look at the, all the competitions, the Nations Cup, um, friendlies and everything. I, I, I don't know. I don't get it. But here's my top ten theoretically. Let's just assume that it goes in my favor that Italy wins and Argentina wins the competition. 
here's how my top 10 would look. And I'll give a full top 10 next week when we do another show after the tournament has been completed. But let's just say Italy and Argentina win. Italy would be the number one team in the world because you look at their groups. They, I mean, it wasn't the strongest group, but they did beat Turkey. They beat Wales, who Wales is a top 20 team. Um, they're actually 17th. And they beat Switzerland, which Switzerland is 13th. And then in the knockout stages, you beat Austria, which they're not, uh, they're 23rd. They beat Belgium, the number one ranked team. They beat Spain, the number six ranked team. And if they beat England, the number four ranked team. Beat one, four, six, 13, 17, and 23. To me, that's the number one team in the world. That's just the way it is. Um, So Italy would be number one. Argentina would go to number two. I would put England three, Brazil four, in my opinion, Spain five, because I thought their showing was pretty outstanding. Belgium would drop to six. I would go Denmark. Now I probably wouldn't put them that high yet. They would move up a couple spots. Seventh would probably Portugal. They would drop a few because I wouldn't drop them too far. Well, I'm not lying. France would go seven. Denmark eight. I would drop Portugal to ninth because their defense was a little lackluster. And then 10th could be a variety. Maybe I'd bump Switzerland up to 10, or maybe Mexico would jump up just by not doing anything. But maybe Switzerland. Maybe I'd give Switzerland 10. And then Uruguay would follow the top 10, um, and you'd go from there. That would kind of be in a roundabout way. Like I said, I'll have an official one next week, but that's kind of how mine would look as of if that scenario played out. Yeah, I don't know how they do because it goes by total points. I don't know how they calculate these points. I, I've never understood that. I don't think I ever will until they come up with an explanation on how the ranking system is. Um, because to me, coming into the Euros, France should have been number one. Portugal, I think, should have been at least top four, maybe top three. Because if you look on recent assess, we won the, the defending Euros champions. We won it back in 2016. Yeah, we might have had an easy road to the finals. They only had to play 2-1 besides Wales and the semis. We didn't have to play someone too good until the finals against France. Um, and then 2018, the World Cup got beat by Uruguay in the quarterfinals. That's whatever. And then we won the Nations League in 2019, which was only like two years ago. But, I mean, I guess I understand it um, at least somewhat. But, yeah, these rankings are honestly terrible. So, I don't know how they do them. Yeah. All right. Well, moving on from soccer. And, again, we talked about in episode one. It's the main thing going on right now. That's what we're talking about. Let's move on to MLB. We're approaching deadline day for the trade deadline, and we're approaching all-star break. Um, the Reds had been on fire until tonight. They were up 6-1 going into the ninth inning and fucking blew the lead and lost 7-6, allowed the Royals um, to walk it off on them. But obviously, Peyton, the all-star lineups were revealed the other day. Um, let me – I'm going to try to pull this up if I can. All-star team. All-star team. Where the hell is it at? Well, hell, I'll pull up standings first and then see if I can pull up the all-star teams because it's not pulling up. But as we take a look around the Major uh, major League Baseball, Peyton, um, again, I know you're, you don't really follow as much anymore, but I love it. So out in the AL East, Peyton, the Boston Red Sox continue to run the show out in the East. They're up four games right now on Tampa Bay Rays. Nine on the Toronto Blue Jays, 
10 on the New York Yankees. They've absolutely throttled the Yankees this year in head-to-head matchups. And then the lonely Baltimore Orioles round out the East at 28-57, one of the worst, if not the worst, franchise in baseball right now. AL Central, the Chicago White Sox, 50-35, and 35, really started hitting their stride in the last month. Up 6.5 on the Cleveland Indians, 11.5 on the Detroit Tigers, 14 on the Kansas City Royals, and 14.5 on the lowly Minnesota Twins. That's a pretty weak division. I mean, it's basically the White Sox and the Indians right now. Um, literally, they're the only two teams in that division, 500 or better, and the Indians are 42 and 40. Um, if it tells you anything, the, the Tigers are third place and 39 and 47. They're 12 games under 500. That's what pisses me off. The Royals beat us tonight as a Reds fan because they're now 36 and 49. And then in the, also in the AL and the West is a little bit more competitive. They have better teams. Uh, AL West, Houston Astros have caught red hot in the last month and a half. They're now 53 and 33, four and a half up on the Oakland Athletics, who are trying to keep pace at 49 and 38. Seattle Mariners chasing their first uh, playoff berth in a long time. They're sitting seven and a half back behind the Astros. The up and down Los Angeles Angels, 43 and 42, nine and a half back, and then the lowly Texas Rangers at 19 games behind the Houston Astros. The way it's shaping up in the AL, Peyton, it is going to at least an all star break. It's obviously the, the, the top teams are Boston and Houston, Chicago, the White Sox are not far behind, but really, you got. Sitting here now, I don't know if I would. I guess I'd probably pick Houston a slight favorite just because I like their offense a little better than the Red Sox right now, and their whole total package of pitching and everything. Plus, they've been there; they've been really good, even though they've been caught cheating. They've been really good the last five or six seasons. The Central, I, like I said, the White Sox are kind of beating up on a bad Central right now, so we won't know. But as far as the Yankees go. Um, Yankees fans need to be a little worried because even though you're only 10, I mean, you're 10 out, but only five out of a wild card, you're right, you're slightly above 500. Just got your ass kicked in a series by the crosstown rival, the Subway Series with the Mets. It's just not looking good for Yankees right now, man. I don't don't know. Um, Yeah, I, I would say probably Houston's probably the best team in the AL right now, just over a slight margin by Boston, even though Boston's got one extra win over Houston. Uh, and I think Houston's playing in a slightly tougher division as of right now. Real Move quick. On. Yeah, go ahead. Um, Red Sox versus Yankees. Where would you rank that rivalry, like, all time? Not oh. in, like, obviously it's the number one baseball rivalry, but I'm talking about in any other sport. Like, where you, would you rank that? You talk about hatred. Yeah, and fuel. It's probably number two in the world behind El Clasico, um, Madrid and Barcelona. I don't see how. I mean, Kentucky and Louisville have a ton of hatred, but it's. I don't know if it's anything like um, Yankees Red Sox because the Yankees Red Sox play nineteen times, and then plus any time they play in postseason, Kentucky Louisville plays once, possibly like, twice. If we meet maybe twice. Yeah. And there's a lot of hatred there. So I would probably put the Red Sox Yankees number two. And the only reason they're not number one is because the legit history and how many millions, close to a billion fans are interested and tuned in to Madrid, Barcelona. 
So, and plus they can legit, it, it doesn't, it's not happened, but if they ever met up, they could legit meet for the biggest prize in the sport as far as the club level. They could legit yeah. meet up for Champions um, League final. Champions League final. Never happened, but they could. And the Yankees Red Sox could only ever, and they've done it many times for the right to go to the World Series. So, yeah, um, Yankees Red Sox would be number two for me. So I figured I knew it'd be top five. I just went favorite six. I knew it's a heated rivalry, very historic. Goes back years. I mean, it's weird seeing, like I said, I don't really pay too much attention to baseball, but it's weird seeing Yankees this bad. Uh, sending a 42 41, 10 and a half games back from Boston. He's leading. Um, I, I remember watching, when's the last time the World War Series? Was it 2009? Yeah, 2009. I remember watching that. Yeah, I remember watching the whole uh, World Series because I had swine flu. And I had to stay in the hospital for like a week. So, I mean, I literally watched every single game, every inning, was cheering for the Yankees because I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm, my favorite team's the Reds, but my second team's always been the Yankees. Um, so, I was cheering them on that whole time. And uh, back when they had Derek Jeter, Eric, Alex Rodriguez, um, yeah, I'm watching that whole series. It was weird seeing them this bad. Uh, so. I mean, they're going to have to make a move at the deadline. They're going to have to get down another slugger, I think, probably another pitcher. Because Garrett Cole, ever since the substance, where the MLBs are the umpires are checking for substances, his ERA is dipped. He's not near as good. So it's obvious he was cheating. Um, but moving on to the NL, the NL East, uh, the New York Mets are leading by four games over the Philadelphia Phillies. The Mets are currently 44 and 37. The Phillies 41 and 42. The Washington Nationals also 41 and 42, who are actually in the last couple of weeks have got themselves back into the race. They were actually dead last uh, about three weeks ago. The Atlanta Braves won the biggest underperformers of the season. They came in after a strong postseason run that saw them make it to the NL. Um, I think they made it to the NL championship game, if I recall. But um, they had a strong postseason last year. They got a, young, a lot of young talent. They had high hopes this year, but they are currently 41 and 44, five games behind the Mets currently, still within striking distance, but very, very underperforming in my opinion right now. And then the Miami Marlins kind of do what they do. Even though they did make postseason last year for the first time in many a year, they're 37 and 47 right now. As the trade deadline comes near, there's talks of trading their best player, Starling Marte, as teams will do that are not in playoff contention or need to free up cap space, they send their best or, you know, they sell their best players and then call up young players and kind of repeat the process. In the NL Central, the Milwaukee Brewers have been red hot in the last three, four weeks. Um, Central was close there for a little while. It was very <clears> tight. The Cubs are leading and the, the Cardinals led and then the Cubs got it back and the Brewers got it. And then basically this past month, the month of June, the Brewers got on fire they're currently 51 and 35 their game tonight was postponed against the Mets they'll be played tomorrow on a double header but they're 51 and 35 they are eight and two in their last 10 and they're up six and a half now in Cincinnati that's what sucks because every, Cincinnati's 44 and 41 they're playing a lot better here lately um, they're the only team and they've swept every team in the central so far at least once in a three-game series um, they swept every team, but then they lose games like tonight against the Royals after being up big, they shouldn't. Then they suck against the West Coast team. But as a Reds fan, all I asked for was them to be in contention come all-star break. We're going to be in contention. We're six and a half back right now. 
Um, hopefully the Mets can do some damage against the Brewers still, and we're able to maybe, you know, get back on the winning track, get it under five, and you never know because they're only five back of the wild card. So, and then the Cubs are 0-10 in their last 10. They're on a 10-game losing streak. They have went from the, the penthouse to almost the outhouse. They're now 42-44, and 44, nine games back behind the Brewers. The St. Louis Cardinals are in the same spot, 42 and 44, nine behind the Brewers. And then the Pittsburgh Pirates continue to do Pittsburgh Pirate things at 32 and 53. Eight <laughs> Fuck you, lethal. <laughs> <laughs> and then in arguably the best division in all of baseball, the NL West, the surprising <clears throat> San Francisco Giants are 53 and 31, leading the division barely over the surging Los Angeles Dodgers at 53 and 33. They're only one game back. And then right behind them is the San Diego Padres at 50 and 37 at four and a half. And then the other two teams are just awful this year. Uh, Colorado's 37 and 48, 16 and a half back. And the Arizona Diamondbacks at 23 and 63, 31 games behind the San Francisco Giants. But that race, I mean, you look at the top three in the NOS, the Giants 53 and 31, the Dodgers 53 and 33, and then the Padres 50 and 37. That's going to be – I'm, I know the Dodgers and the Padres are built to make this run all the way to October. I'm curious to see if the Giants have it in them too. I want to see if they make any moves at the deadline to strengthen that lineup to really go for it and make a push or if this is one of those deals where they kind of fall off eventually and the Dodgers and the Padres continue to ride the momentum forward. Um, it's going to be interesting, though. Uh, the Reds, like I said, they're five back in a wild card spot. The two wild card spots are taken by the Dodgers and the Padres. The Reds have been absolutely slaughtered against all them West Coast teams, but they kick ass in the Central and they beat up on the NL East teams. Thank God we are done with the NL West. <laughs> That's all <laughs> I'm going to say. Thank God, because either we go out there or when they came into Cincinnati, they've just beat the fuck out of us. Thank God we basically got the NL Central and NL East the remainder of the year. Hopefully we stay healthy. Joey Votto starting to swing the bat ever since coming back from injury. We got two, um, you know, two all-star starters in the corner outfields, Jesse Winker and Nick Cassianos in the top two in NL and batting average. So it's going to be there. I'm hoping as a Reds fan we can continue to make that push and reel in the Brewers. Don't the Dodgers have Mookie Betts? Yeah, oh, God dang. He's had such a tremendous year, too. That's what I thought. Oh, my God. He's had such so I knew he left Boston after he won the Wood Series, but yeah, I didn't know where it. he went. I thought he went to the Dodgers, 100% sure. Yeah, he went to the Dodgers and um, won a World Series last year in his first year. I'm trying to pull up the damn All-Star. Um, I cannot find it on MLB.com at an All-Star game. I just found it. <clears throat> Just found it. Let me um, pull this up and let everybody know the all-star starters. Because I know Shohei Otani is making right – or the first person in MLB history, and you think this is a game that's been around well over 100 years, first person to ever be voted in as an all-star starter and as a starting pitcher and out in the field. What he's doing this year, Peyton, is unbelievable. Unbelievable. Uh, where is Starters? <laughs> no way. Wait, was this today? 
Well, I guess yesterday, July 6th. Yeah, this was Tuesday. I'm looking at, I'm on MLB.com. Just looking at some stuff. And uh, fucking the Marlins beat the Dodgers 2-1 today. Went in the 10th inning. Yeah. Yeah. And the, I think it was the Phillies beat the Cubs 16-10. 50, yeah, it was 15-10. They 15, won. 15-10, yeah. Yeah. Jesus. Then that'll be all-star game. Why can I not find all-star roster? Why can I not find this? Here. Um, oh, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. So, the, in the American League, at catcher is Salvador Perez from Kansas City. At first base, Vlad Guerrero Jr. from Toronto. Also from Toronto, starting second base is Marcus Simeon. All these guys have had great years, by the way. Um, Rafael Devers and Xander Bogarts will round out the infield from Boston at third and set or shortstop. And then the outfield consists of Mike Trout, but he's been injured. Fans still voted him in. Um, just off name, kind of like the M- NBA does. Which Dude, yeah, of- they did that shit with Clay Thompson. I mean, yeah. that even though they snubbed Devin Booker, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but that stuff, I don't. I mean, I get why they do it, um, but I just don't like it. Like if they're injured, you already know they can't play in the game. I, it's kind of stupid to even put them on a list to be voted on because yeah. it takes away f- opportunities from anyone else who quite possibly could deserve it. So I don't like that at all in any sport that has all star games. And now. Before he got hurt, Trout was having definitely – I mean, he was having another MVP-type year. I think he was batting close to, like, 350. So, he was having another great year. Um, but, yeah, he's voted in as a starter. Obviously, he won't play and start. But And then rounding out the the outfield with him would be Aaron Judge from the Yankees and Fiasco Hernandez from Toronto. Toronto has three starters in the American League side. And then for the DH, like I mentioned, Shohei Otani, who's just been, oh, God. The reserves for the AL, we go Mike Zanino, catcher from Tampa Bay. Second base, Jose Altuve from Houston. Short stops, Bo Bichette from Toronto and Carlos Correa from Houston. First base, Alec or Matt Olson. He's had a great year, by the way, from the Oakland Athletics. Third base, Jose Ramirez from Cleveland Indians. First base, Jared Walsh is having a great year, too, as well, from the Angels. Outfielders Michael Brantley from Houston. Outfielder Joey Gallo from Texas. Outfielder Adolis Garcia from Texas having a great underrated season. So is the other outfielder reserve Cedric Mullins from Baltimore. And then the two DHs from Boston, J.D. Martinez. And then Nelson Cruz from Minnesota. That's a tough lineup right there. Um, I don't see too many complaints, honestly, uh, from my viewing point of it. I don't – not that I can think of other than maybe Trout being voted in, but – the pitchers, I'm going to kind of just gloss over them real quick. Uh, but it was Shane Bieber, Garrett Cole, Nathan Evaldi, Kyle Gibson, UC Kikuchi, um, Lance Lynn, Carlos Rodon with the relievers being Matt Barnes, Aroldis Chapman, Liam Hendricks, Brian Presley, and Gregory Soto. On the National League side, you've got catcher Buster Posey, who's having, after a couple of down years, people thought he was on the downside of his career. He's really picked it up, having a great year this year. Um, from the Giants' first base, you see Freddie Freeman. Inside um, infielders at second base, Adam Frazier from Pittsburgh having a tremendous year, by the way. Um, one of Pittsburgh's, him and um, Brian Hayes are really their two shining lights in a bad year. Third base, as always, only this time instead of representing the Rockies, he's the first year with the Cardinals. Covering the hot corner is Nolan Arenado. Shortstop is the always fun and exciting Fernando Tatis. He is just smashing the fucking ball, too, and doing crazy stuff on defensive He's one of the best young players in general, not just shortstops in the game. And then the outfielder, I kind of mentioned it. 
in center will be Ronald Acuna Jr., another one of those talented young players from the Atlanta Braves. And then the corner outfielders you're going to see from Cincinnati Reds, Nick Castellanos and Jesse Winker. First time the Reds have ever had two uh, outfield starters like that, to the best of my knowledge. Um, and then just kind of rounding out the, the NL Central um, Reserve, JD, JT Realmuto from Philadelphia, Ozzy Albies from Atlanta, Chris Bryant from the Cubbies, Brandon Crawford from the Giants, Jake Cronenworth from the Padres, Eduardo Escobar from the uh, Diamondbacks, Max Munchie from the Dodgers, Trey Turner from the Nats, Mookie Betts um, from the Dodgers, Brian Reynolds from Pittsburgh, I first mentioned him too, uh, Kyle Schwarber, who's fucking have you heard what he did in june over the course of like 14 games uh no he hit like 17 home runs in 14 games in the month of june jesus yeah juan soto from washington and chris taylor from the dodgers pitchers will be corbin burns udars jacob degrom who is having a he, he might win cy young in the nl and mvp he's got like it's ridiculous. He's got like a sub one, almost like a zero ERA. He just does not give up runs. Um, strikes people out. He's just ridiculous. I've never seen a pitch uh, like a um, a season like that from a pitcher. It, it's greatness before our eyes is what Jacob Brown is doing. The other pitchers, Kevin Gossman, Jermaine Marquez, Trevor Rogers, Zach Wheeler, Brandon Woodruff, and the relievers being Josh Hader, Craig Kimbrell. Mark Melanson, Alex Reyes. Let me pull up Jacob DeGrom before we move away from uh, baseball here, Peyton. I'm going to – let me see. These stats, okay, and keep in mind, he was hurt at least once this year. But he's always been really good. But 2021 alone, he's 7-2. and two. He's got an ERA of .95. He's got a sub-1 ERA. And 14 games started. 85 innings pitch. He's got 136 strikeouts with a .54 whip. Oh, my God. That is – I mean, I don't know what else to say. He is just mowing fools down. In his last seven games, he's 4-0 with a 1.13 ERA. Seven games started, of course, in the last seven. Um, he's got, uh, I mean, if he's 4 0, he's got four wins and then three no decisions. But in 40 innings pitch, that means he's averaging, uh, well, I was going to say 10 innings, but I forgot it's seven games. But 40 innings pitch in the last seven games, he's only allowed 15 hits, five runs, four walks, 62 strikeouts. I mean, oh my God. Like, it, it's, if you're not a big baseball fan, you won't understand the numbers, but just trust me, what he's doing is historic. Absolutely historic. Two questions before yeah. you stop talking about baseball. One first question, very easy question. Where's this all-star game at? Well, it was going to be in Atlanta, and then they had the whole political deal. They moved it. It's going to be in Colorado. Isn't it going to be cold down there? I don't think so. Not at this time, I don't think. Oh, maybe not. Maybe I'm thinking of something else. But okay, and I know, uh, I know, I know the home run derby too because the All Star break's coming up this week. Um, the home run derby is going to be crazy because Coors Field is with the elevation stuff is one of the most hitter friendly parks in all of baseball. So mm-hmm. them balls are going to be jumping, jumping. Yeah. Um. Next question. 
And uh, hopefully I don't sound stupid saying asking this, but you know what? Screw it. Who cares? Uh, is Barry Bonds in the Hall of Fame? He's not. He's not. Okay. He Price was. Yeah, he was the one I was thinking of. Why isn't he in the Hall of Fame again? Um, because the whole steroid balco steroid balco issue. I'm confused. What is like so? Basically, so he's never officially like admitted it, but um, he's never like officially admitted it. But they uh, they had that whole issue, you know, about 15 years ago, where his name came up and steroids and all that stuff. And yeah. Hmm. Okay, well, that's all any question I have. I didn't, I couldn't know if it was him or if it was Sammy Sosa. I didn't know who it was. I, I knew those both big names in baseball. I didn't know which one it was. So, uh, that was it. I didn't know if he was in the Hall of Fame or not. Didn't he play for, who did he play for? The Giants? Yeah, for the Giants. Yeah, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. One for sure, though. All right, you can carry on. So, um, NBA Finals, real quick. Game one. Tipped off tonight. Um, yep. Did the, the Suns? Because I know the Suns. When we started recording, they were up. Yeah, they, they ended like up. 15. Yeah, they won. They won 118 to 105. Chris Paul 32. DeAndre Ayton had double double. Phoenix takes game one. Peyton, uh, Giannis uh, was going. I think he ended up playing tonight. But yeah, he did. I, I just don't, especially the Phoenix going up 1-0, protecting home court. I don't see, especially if they look 2-0 in this series. I don't see how. The Bucks have enough to outdo the Phoenix Suns. They look like Phoenix is going to get their first ever uh, world championship. Yeah, how much should book? Oh yeah, twenty-seven. Uh, DeAndre Ayton, you already mentioned he had twenty-two. Miles Bridges had fourteen. Uh, yeah, this uh, Frank Kaminsky. That's funny. Um, he played no minutes at all. Um, anyways, yeah, this squad. Um, Cameron Johnson actually got some minutes. That's actually kind of surprising. Didn't expect that. Anyways, yeah, this squad's very good. Uh, it's very talented. I this is why what I said last or last show. Um, I know I said I wanted Phoenix, or I know I picked Atlanta to beat Milwaukee, but it didn't matter really who went through in the East because I had a good feeling that Phoenix was going to win. Um, just because Devin Booker lights out even with the broken nose or whatever situation he has with his face uh, his nose um he's still very talented definitely score at all three levels and then you know Chris Paul this is his first NBA finals so I'm rooting for them to win uh DeAndre Ayton has been playing really good this season Joy Crowder has been a good player for them uh I said Desi Miles Bridges I meant Mikel Bridges excuse yeah. me um and yeah I, I mean I'm a big fan of Giannis uh, I like his mentality. Uh, he could have very well left last season after getting beat by Miami in the second round of I think yes, it was second it was, round, yeah, the second, second round of the playoffs. Um, getting beat by a Miami squad that was very talented, but definitely nobody expected that to happen. He very could have left and went to a Golden State or just anywhere else where he definitely could have been won the championship. But now he decided to be loyal to his team, came back, and him and Chris Milton has been doing dominant things in this playoffs. Milton had 29 himself, so uh, we'll see. Uh, I hope this game – I'd like to see it go seven games. I think that would be fun. It would be entertaining. Um, but like you said, I don't think it's going to happen. I think Phoenix wins this. 
yeah, I, I just especially after taking game one like that. And they were up like 16 when we started this. They ended up holding on to win by 13. I just don't know if the Bucks. obviously 105 is a lot, but if the Suns are going to score 118, it's not it's not where you need. So I just don't know if they're going to be able to outscore them. You know what I'm saying? I don't know if they're yeah. able to hold them down. So we'll, we'll keep you guys updated on that. Real quick in the Stanley Cup, going into yesterday, game four, the Tampa Bay Lightning were up 3-0 on the Montreal Canadiens. The Canada has not had a World Cup winner – or not a World Cup, I mean a Stanley Cup winner since I think it was like 1993 is the last time we – when we looked up on episode one. But the Lightning had a chance to finish it off. The Canadians held strong and took game four. Game five is tomorrow night. If the Canadians can pull back to, you know, get it to three to two, anything can happen. But they've got to get that. It's one game at a time. If the Lightning needs to close this out, if they're going to do it, because if the Canadians can pull this back to 3-2, especially if they could pull it to a game seven, then we, as we know, game seven, anything happens. So if the Lightning are going to win, I think this is the most crucial game of the entire series. I think it's like, how many teams, wait, how long have you said it's been since a Canada team has won the Stanley Cup? I think it's like 90. Two or 93? That's wild. How many teams are in Canada? Like five or six? Yeah, there's there's quite a bit. I mean, there's let's see. There's the Canadians. There is the Flames. There is um, Ottawa. Yeah. There's a team in Vancouver. Vancouver, Winnipeg. Yeah. Toronto. Toronto. So there's at least seven. Jeez, and they—it's been that long since they've won. Yeah, yeah. I wonder how many times they've actually had a team like in the finals and just. Well, I know in, at least I'm sure it's been since then. I can't remember. I know at least in 2005 when the uh, Lightning won their first ever one, did um, they played the Flames? Mm. Okay. Let me see if I can pull this up real quick. So I'm actually curious because that's actually wild if it's been that long since they've won the Stanley Cup Finals. Uh, that's wild. Um, hmm. Let's see here. So NHL Stanley Cup history. All right. Um, wait, did the Tampa Bay win it last year? Yeah. Yeah, they're oh, trying okay. to go back to back. Some reason I thought a different team won. Um, let's see here. I thought I just seen Vancouver. Maybe I didn't. Uh, oh, 2011. Boston Bruins beat Vancouver 4-3. Okay. I couldn't remember the last time that they even made the final, so. Yeah. That's it. So 2011 was the last time they made the final, and then. Last time they won it, uh, Montreal won in 93. So 93, that's what I thought. So yep. It's been quite a while, but all, I mean, they just got one game at a time. And I think the Lightning, if they want to win this, go back to back. This is a quick <clears> one. <throat> You've got to end this now. Do not let the Canadians get on a roll. So anything can happen. But as we start to wind down, Peyton, um, I planned on talking UFC 264 tonight, but you know what? We'll hold off till Saturday, do a proper preview on that. Um, as our lead-in to the fights that Saturday night, we'll do a, a full breakdown of UFC 264, Poirier McGregor 3. 
good a little undercard uh, co-main event too. Stephen Wonderboy Thompson versus Gilbert uh, Burns. I almost said Melendez. Gilbert Burns and some other quality fights on that fight uh, that card as well. Um, we'll have a full breakdown and preview on that. Peyton, also before we get out of here, I do want to say how bullshit it is that the IOC, the Olympics, are keeping out sprinter Shakari Richardson. She dominated her Olympic trials and became an overnight sensation by the way she looks. Some people criticize her about her nails and hair, but basically she's a, a very talented black woman that is eccentric and positive and lives her life kind of out there. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, crazy hate. And I don't mean this disrespectful. God knows I don't mean this. But I'm trying to describe it. It's like, you know, her hair's out there. She's got the long nails while she's running. And... Her, she had just lost, she had just got the news and lost her mother and everything, and she needed to calm her nerves and smoke some pot, and they busted her for it. They Jesus. Put it the, they, they put that in the same category as fucking steroids. So she has been banned and barred from going and running as an Olympic um, sprinter representing the United States because the head of the IOC, the Olympic Committee, is an idiot. In their fucking outdated rules, it's so stupid. Yeah, that is absolutely bullshit. Like, I know a lot of people on Twitter was very pissed off about it. There was a lot of NBA players, some NFL players talking about it. Patrick Mahomes said something about it. Obviously, LeBron said something about it. But yeah, that's some dumbass shit. Like, it was marijuana. Like, it's it there wasn't no damn steroids. Like, are you fucking stupid? Um. Another thing that I want to talk about that's kind of bullshit, and I don't understand why. Little ago, we'll talk about UFC 240 or 246, 264. Um, very, very soon, Queen New Connor and Poirier. Um, but a little other UFC news I actually kind of forgot about it until it just popped up on my Facebook here. But uh, the main event for, two, for UFC 265 is Derek Lewis versus Gain and for the interim heavyweight championship. Why are they doing an interim heavyweight championship when Francis Zagano just won the damn title from Stephen uh, Miocic a couple months ago? I don't know because contract disputes or something. I don't know to be honest. I don't know. I, I, basically, Zagano wanted to be paid what he's worth, and they couldn't get the they fucked around and didn't get the John Jones fight for it. And yes, Zagano's want to be paid because he's a superstar now. And uh, Dana's just doing Dana stuff. and like, nah, okay, well, fuck you. Then we're going to do an interim belt when nobody asked for it. Is John Jones ever going to fucking move up to heavyweight like he keeps on saying he is? I, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I have a lot of respect for John Jones. He probably is the GOAT. He's definitely he, – if he's not the GOAT, then he's second. He's very, very close to being the GOAT. But that's why I like uh, style Bunner so much. He, he didn't say anything. He moved up straight up to light heavyweight. Even though he lost – he still moved up, and John Jones keeps saying that like, he's gonna keep moving up, and I just don't get it. Um, well, I mean, I, I like to see I like to see him in heavyweight. I like to see him fighting Gano. I don't know why they couldn't get a deal done. Um, honestly, think Dana White has done great things for the UFC, but there's some stuff he can be petty about, and just he I don't know. And I'm trying to we'll end it here because I want to save all my UFC talk for Saturday afternoon. But you talk about moving up, fucking Connor's always moving up and down. Um, oh, yeah. Whether it's good or bad, he's moving up or down. And we're going to leave off with that because 
you want to hear our previews of UFC 264, Poirier versus McGregor 3, it's already been announced the winner gets the next title fight against UFC lightweight champion um, Charles Oliveira. So lots at stake. So tune in Saturday. We'll record Saturday, early Saturday, probably maybe maybe Saturday morning, maybe Saturday afternoon, but we'll have it up in time before UFC 264 goes live at Saturday night. So you'll they'll kind of be your lead-in podcast. Um, you won't want to miss it. But as we close in on the two-hour mark, Peyton, it's getting late here in Indiana as we're recording late since we have practice night. Um, yeah, we appreciate everybody tuned in to episode one. We hope you guys enjoy this one. And we will catch you Saturday for episode number three. For Peyton Burton, I am Josh Burton. And we will see you Saturday for another episode and installment of Sports Talk with Jizzle Bizzle. We'll see you then. Has it ever been home?